You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. Glad you're all here. If if we haven't met, my name is Ronnie. I serve as the family life pastor here at East Point. And so this morning, we're going to be in our Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. And so we, we've wrapped up our latest series in the book of Mark. And so this is what they call a one-off sermon, which simply means I could choose any passage I wanted to. All right, which sound, on the surface sounds like a great thing, right? But for a guy like me who has trouble making decisions, like, this is tough, right? Because you know, I could choose this passage, this passage, this, you know, it could go on and on. What do I choose? How do I choose? And some of you have had to make some big decisions too recently, right? High school seniors, right? you've been in, in school for the last 12, 13 years, and now, now you have to decide, college, are you going to go to college or are you not going to go to college? If you do go to college, what college do you go to? This one or that one? And if you decide on a college, what's your major? This major, that major, how do you choose? And college grads, you have big decisions on your hands, right? For 40 hours a week, you have to work at the same place and see the same people. How do you choose? If you choose one place... You can't choose the other, right? And singles, my singles who are ready to mingle. Raise your hand if you're single and ready to mingle. Put your hands down. It's church. This is church people, all right? So with your eyes closed and every head bow, how many people are single? No, just kidding. Right, but you have big decisions, right? How many eligible bachelors and bachelorettes are there out there? And you have to choose just one? How do you choose? And then we get married and the decisions don't stop, right? You ever been hungry around dinner time? Your wife wants Chipotle, you want Chick-fil-A? You can't choose both. How do you choose? Now, I, think the, I think the truth is that we, if we're being honest, we don't, we don't like making decisions. Because if you choose one thing, you, you know what that means. You have to forego another. If you decide on one thing, it's at the exclusion of something else. And I don't have to tell you that we live in a, a society that doesn't like exclusion, doesn't like exclusivity. Right? And so I could preach about that, especially in the terms of religion. You're, you're going to tell me that Christianity is the only way? Jesus is the only way? Really? And so we could talk about that. But I, w- I want to narrow the focus this morning. I want to make it more personal I want to talk about our own stance on exclusivity, our own practice of exclusivity. I want us to examine our hearts this morning and ask a tough question. How exclusive is my relationship with God? How exclusive is my relationship with God? And to help us look at our hearts and honestly answer this question, I want to look to our Bibles this morning, all right? So 1 Kings chapter 18, and it's a long chapter. So this is 
This is what I'll do. I'll talk about most of the chapter, if not all of the chapter, but our focus will be on verses 17 through 40. Verses 17 through 40. And it's my goal this morning that as we, as we look at these verses that we would earnestly examine our hearts. I identify anything that is trying to take the place of God in our lives and leave here with a fresh determination to exclusively, exclusively follow God. All right? So obviously, some things have happened up to this point in the Bible, right? And so we need some background to understand what's going on. So we find ourselves some 800 years before Jesus walks the earth. And God's people, Israel, they find themselves under the reign of King Ahab. How many parents out there? Parents with sons, all right? We all want our sons to grow up and be what? Godly men, right? We want them to marry godly women. If Ahab was your son, well, you'd be disappointed. He marries Jezebel. Everybody say Jezebel. Jezebel. See, Jezebel wasn't an Israelite. She didn't worship God, and she brings the worship of her God, Baal, into Israel. Brings Baal to God's people. Baal, the so-called storm god, the god of the seasons. That's an important detail. So remember that. Baal. And so Baal worship grows. It spreads throughout Israel. And Ahab doesn't have a problem with that. Right? You can see in your Bibles that the Bible says Ahab was the most evil king to date. The most evil king in Israel's history up to that point. And so he, he builds a, a, a temple in Samaria, the, the nation's capital at the time, for Baal worship. God's people have decided to follow two gods, the one true God in Baal. So God sends a prophet. He sends a prophet named Elijah. He sends him to King Ahab, and Elijah tells him that God's going to send a drought in the form of judgment. For three years, there's not going to be rain because of of God's people's unfaithfulness, because of Ahab's unfaithfulness. And this this is God's grace that he does this. Right? A drought, calling people back to himself. That's what he was doing. But can you imagine no rain for three years? That means no water. People are thirsty. That means there's no rain for the crops. People are hungry, and people grow thirstier and thirstier and hungrier and hungrier. And as as water grows less and less, and the food grows less and less, the evil in the nation grows more and more. And Jezebel, she... She kills these, these prophets of God. Almost all of them. Things are really, really bad. And so our story picks up in Elijah after his, his, his account, encounter with Ahab three years ago. He emerges back on the, the scene and he's face to face again with King Ahab, this evil king. And in verse 17, It says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. 
Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah tells Ahab, look, go get your boys and meet me after school in the parking lot, right? Middle school style, right? He says, get, get all 450 prophets of yours, of Baal, all 400 prophets of Asherah, and meet me on Mount Carmel. Better yet, get all of Israel and meet me on the mountain. And Ahab complies, at least partially, right? He brings the 450 prophets of Baal. It, the rest of our text doesn't mention anything about the prophets of Asherah. So at least he partially complies. And so they gather at Mount Carmel. And you've and you got to pick, you got to see this in your mind with me, all right? This is a beautiful mountain. Typically, it would be fruitful. Typically, it would have lots of green vegetation. But this, this mountain wasn't immune to the three-year drought. It wasn't immune to its effects. Surely, it would have been suffering, too. And secondly... It was a sacred place for Baal worship. Ahab and the prophets of Baal were all too familiar with this mountain. This was their turf. This was their mountain. And ironically, Baal, the so-called storm god, was not able to send rain for the last three years of this drought on his own mountain. Now put yourself there, all right? The mountain's packed, all right? On one side, you have Ahab, Jezebel, the 450 prophets of Baal, all of Israel. And then on the other side, you have Elijah, just Elijah. All these people on the mountain and just Elijah, Elijah all by himself. He's outnumbered. He's outmatched. Praise the Lord that at no point in history has a man or woman with God on their side been outmatched. It looked like Moses was outmatched against the Egyptians. It looked like David was outmatched against Goliath. It looks like Elijah's outmatched here. But they're high up on Mount Carmel. Elijah quiets the crowd. He steps forward and he says in verse 21, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces. And lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So speaking to all the people, the Israelites, Elijah asks them, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? And it's this difficult expression that invokes in our mind limping on crutches, one crutch under 
one arm, an entirely different crutch under the other arm. One crutch being the worship of God, Yahweh, the one true God. The other crutch being the worship of Baal. One crutch being the worship of one who is holy, pure, true, worthy. The other crutch being the worship of one vile, vulgar, worthless. And if one crutch is leading us one way and the other crutch leading us another way, our walk turns into a stumble, into a stagger, into a limp. Constantly pulling from one crutch to lean on the other. See, they worshiped God on Sunday mornings, but it was Monday through Saturday that they worshiped Baal. It was Baal that gripped their hearts, consumed their minds. Their kids worship God for two hours a week at youth group. But it was Baal they followed, the Baal that their friends followed on the weekends and at school. Remember Jesus' words in his Sermon on the Mount? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. We claim to worship God, but alongside God, we worship anything else. Well, then we really aren't worshiping God at all. How long will you go limping between two different opinions, Elijah asked? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if, if Baal, then follow him. It's silence. Crickets, right? It says, and the, the people did not answer him a word. Right? What, what do we do if we, if we don't want to make a decision? Nothing. Right? If, you're for, if you're asked to decide between one thing and another, what do you do? We don't, we don't say anything, right? Baal or God, the people didn't answer. And Elijah breaks the silence again, and he gives the prophets a little confidence booster. He makes it clear that they have the upper hand here. He says, I, even I only am left, a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. It's just me out here. There's all 450 of you. This should go pretty well for you. And then he gives them the rules of the, the contest, right? He says, let's go get two bulls, one for me and one for you, all right? We'll prepare the bulls as a sacrifice. We'll, we'll, we'll cut them up, build an altar, and sacrifice them there on the altar. And God's people were used to this. They were used to making animal sacrifices. That's the way they would atone for sins. That's the way they, they'd be put in a right relationship with God, an animal sacrifice. But th this time it's a little different. He, he, he says, don't put a, a fire to it. Don't put a flame to it. No, you pray to your God. I'll pray to my God, and whoever of the two answers by fire, he is God. So the stage is set. Baal or God? 
time to see who the real God is. And keep in mind that, that this was no idea just thought up of by Elijah. This wasn't his own plan. No, back in verse 1 of chapter 18, it says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. This was, this was God's plan. Because the living God demands exclusive devotion. I said the living God demands exclusive devotion. God was ready to bring his limping, staggering, stumbling people back exclusively to himself. And my guess is that there are people here today, that there are some of us here today whose walk with God looks more like a limp. Under one arm is your relationship with God. Under the other arm is your relationship with the world. On the one hand, I believe in Jesus, but on the other hand, it, it, it's wealth that I'm chasing after. On the one hand, I believe in God, but it's success that will make my life worth living. On the one hand, I'm following Jesus, but on the other hand, I'm more influenced by the people I'm following on Facebook. On the one hand, I have faith in Jesus, but on the other hand, it's finding a girlfriend, it's finding a boyfriend, it's finding a spouse. That's what will give me everlasting joy. On the one hand, I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. On the other hand, I pray, my kingdom come, my will be done. On the one hand, I want to make God's name known. But on the other hand, it's my, known, my name that I want the world to know. But the living God demands exclusive devotion. And he was calling his people back then to make a choice. And he still calls us today to make a choice. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if money, if success, if comfort, if popularity, if acceptance, if my feelings, if people's opinions of me, if they're God, then follow them. Verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. And there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked him, saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And then they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So Elijah reminds the prophets of Baal once again that they have the advantage, right? He says, for you are many. You are many. He's for sure outnumbered when it comes to preparing the sacrifice. Many hands make light work. There's 450 of you. But he's also outnumbered when it comes to something else, isn't he? There's 450 prayers from the prophets of Baal. 
against one from Elijah. And so picture with me, picture with me this, all right? Imagine it, because it gets a little weird. Right? It gets a little scary, to be honest. I, I, I never have, like, scary movies, if I can be vulnerable with you guys. Never have, all right? So this is probably something I'd have to excuse myself from, all right? They start, they're, they're, they're yelling all day, these grown men, 450 of them, crying out to their god, Baal. All morning, it says, surrounding their sacrifice and crying out, Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Over and over again, Oh, Baal, answer us. Can you imagine this? The desperate screams, the shrieking, the wailing of 450 prophets of Baal. And then they, then they do something weirder. They start, it says, limping around the altar. It's a different word than the, the word he used previously for limping. This is dancing. This is uh, some cultic dance that they do to try to impress Baal, try to impress their God into answering their prayers. And this is Baal. Like, of all God, like the, the storm God should be able to send a lightning bolt down and, and burn this altar. But there was no voice, and no one answered. So lunchtime rolls around and Elijah gets hangry, right? And he just can't help himself. I, I love Elijah. I love Elijah. I imagine him with this confident smirk on his, his face as he, he's yelling at the prophets of Baal so all the people can hear. He's like, hey, may, maybe your God has other things on his mind, right? Like providing all this, this rain, right? Or, or maybe, hey, maybe, maybe Baal's using the porta potty over there, right? Been in there a long time, though. That, that can't be good, right? Or maybe he went for a walk. Maybe he's walking. Maybe he went for a little afternoon nap. Maybe you just need to yell louder, cry louder to wake him up. Just cry louder. And so they've tried screaming. They've tried dancing. They've begged and begged, but Baal doesn't answer. And so they do what Baal worship entailed. They cut themselves with swords and lances until they were covered in blood as they continue to cry out. Like, can you imagine this scene? It's sick. It's demented. It's evil. Covered in blood, they continue to cry out to Baal frantically, prophesying, raving well into the heat of the afternoon. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. There was no voice because there was no one to speak. There was no answer because there was no answerer. No one was paying attention because there was no one. Because a lifeless idol provides no answer. The words obey or answer us, they've never come, those words have never come out of our mouths. But maybe there are some here who for far too long have been crying out, begging, pleading, oh success, answer me. Oh popularity, answer me. Oh bank account, answer me. Oh relationships, answer me. And you devote yourself to those things. You follow those things. 
You look to those things to answer your desperate longing for fulfillment, for purpose, for love, for peace, for identity. And day after day, month after month, year after year, you're still faced with silence. There is no voice. No one answers. No one pays attention. A lifeless idol provides no answer. And Baal's prophets received no answer because there was no Baal. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. All right, so finally, Elijah has enough, right? He's seen enough of this, this show. He's given the prophets of Baal all morning, all afternoon to call upon their God, and nothing's happened. So Elijah says to the people, come near. Come to my altar. Come near to me. And they gather around Elijah, and Elijah repairs the altar of the Lord that had been cast down. What's the altar of the Lord doing on Baal's mountain? This used to be a place where God's people worship God, the one true God. But when people stray from the real God to worship false gods, worship of the real God gets crowded out. So Elijah rebuilds the altar with 12 stones. According to the tribes of Israel, God's people, the people that were now limping between two different opinions, God and Baal, the people who now surrounded Elijah and his altar. I wonder if they saw the symbolism themselves as Elijah was stacking one stone after the, another. Right with the first stone, God was, was calling the tribe of Judah back to himself. The second, God was calling the tribe of Reuben. The third, Simeon, Levi, until all 12 stones were stacked. God was calling his people back to himself. And then look what Elijah does. It says he digs a trench. He cuts the bowl in pieces. He put the wood on the altar. He lays the bull on the altar. He did this, him, by himself. But something happens in verse 33. You see that? Things change in verse 33 where it was just him doing all this. Now some of God's people apparently have started helping Elijah. And they did it a second time. And they did it a third time. God was calling his people back to himself. Their other god, Baal, has proven to be a failure, a fake. 
Now they're helping Elijah, who started this whole thing by himself. And can you picture the, the looks Elijah was getting from some of these people, right? Because you've got to remember when this takes place. In the middle of a, it's been three years, a three-year-long drought. And Elijah is now telling them, hey, take, take four jars of water and dump it on the altar. And I meant, like, with each jar, the people are growing more and more angry. This is a precious commodity in a drought. Yet he says, take a jar of water, pour it on the altar. And there's symbolism here, too, because it's four times three. Four jars, three times, that's 12. The 12 tribes of Israel, God was calling his people back to himself. And you see how Elijah trusted the provision of God here? In the middle of a drought, dumping water on an altar, trusting that God can more than make up for it. I think there's something to be learned from Elijah here. Do we trust God's hand enough to release to him what we try to hold on to with ours? It looked like he was just wasting water. But he trusted in God's provision. But he also trusts God's power, doesn't he? Right? Because you and I both know that water and fire do not mix. And if the, the whole goal of this thing is to light this altar, what's he doing with the water? You ever tried to light wet logs? It doesn't work, yet somehow God's supposed to set this fire on this altar. Everything. And Elijah soaks everything, the wood, the bull, the dirt, the rocks, everything. Then look what the text says Elijah does next, right? It says, just like the prophets of Baal, he, he screams out to his, his God, oh God, answer me, answer me. It says he does some weird dance that no grown man should do around an altar, right? Trying to impress his God. It says he cuts himself to show how dedicated he is to God. No. He draws closer to the altar. Quietly prays to the one true God, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He prays that God's authority and power would be known among his people. He says, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. He prays that these people would know God, that it's God who saves, that it's God who redeems. He says, answer me, O Lord, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Oh, what God can do with a quiet, humble prayer of a man or a woman who longs to see his glory, who longs to see God at work in the world, who longs to see people saved. Verse 38, And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Fire falls from the sky. 
and lights up everything. This was no act of nature. This was no lightning. Lightning doesn't consume everything. This was fire from God, the one which the Bible says is a consuming fire. Elijah had said, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And this God answered because the living God possesses unmatched power. How could God answer unless he could hear? How could God hear unless he was listening? How could he listen unless he was paying attention? How could he pay attention unless he was there? How could he be there unless he is real? And friends, I'm telling you today that if you put your trust in anything else to fulfill you, anything else to give you purpose, anything else to give your life meaning, anything to give you identity, you're putting your trust in something that has absolutely no power at all to do any of those things. You can live your life for years and years calling and calling on idols only to realize that they've lacked power all along. No power to give you fulfillment. No power to give you purpose. No power to give you identity. But the living God possesses unmatched power. Power to change your heart. Power to change your life. Power to change your purpose. And for some of you, it'll take fire from heaven to bring you back to God. Some of you need to see this unmatched power. I'm here to tell you, God said something better than fire from heaven. God sent something more powerful than fire, greater, more consuming. God sent his son from heaven into the world to die for our sins. He sent his son Jesus to earth so that wayward people can have their hearts turned back to God. So that their days of, of living for anything other than God can be forgiven. Can be erased. Forgotten. The living God possesses that power. Verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Friends, my call to you today is simple. The Lord is God. Follow Him. The Lord is God. Follow Him. Baal is not God. Success is not God. Comfort is not God. Status is not God. Work is not God. The perfect body is not God. The perfect kids are not God. The Lord is God. Exclusively, how exclusive is your relationship with God? Because God doesn't call us to follow Him in addition to anything else. He doesn't call us to limp back and forth between Him and idols. You can't, it's not possible to follow two things going in different directions. The Lord is God, follow Him. And so that's it, right? right? 
story ends. This was a Hollywood movie, right? There would be a, a, a pretty good girl that Elijah rescued from the prophets of Baal. And in the background, the, the, the fire's still burning. He kisses her, roll credits. Everybody lives happily ever after, right? Verse 40, And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And you, you, I told you I picked this text myself. Right? And so I could have cut this, I could have cut this off at verse 39. Everybody lived happily ever after. But wouldn't have been very faithful to the text. And the Bible says that all Scripture is profitable. And I truly believe that. The easy passages and the hard passages. The Old Testament and the New Testament, verse 39 and verse 40. But I realize that the parts of the Old Testament are difficult for some people. They're difficult to get past. That Elijah, a man of God, could kill 450 people. 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, if we're being honest, they probably, they probably just would have bled out anyway after cutting themselves. Why not just leave them? Why kill them? And, and there's so much we could say about this, right? But, but for the purpose of our passage, I, th- I think I'll handle it this way. Like this, this, was, this was God's people we're talking about. His people, his, his children. And these prophets of, of Baal were pulling them away from the one true God, their father. And they were pulling them into this sinister religion far from God. And so today, if a serial killer murders a bunch of people, we, we give them capital punishment, the death penalty maybe. These people were committing something far, far worse, leading people to eternal death, eternal punishment. These were God's children. He protected them. We see his grace even in this. And if God didn't have a people left, from what people would he send his one and only son into the world to save it? He's so good. He's so gracious. The Lord is God. Follow him. So I had a a life-changing, God-reigning, fire-down-from-heaven moment in my life 15 or so years ago. A little more subtle than that. But it's a season of my life where I... uh, I wasn't following God by any stretch of the imagination. And so there's this moment in this season of my life. And keep, keep in mind, I was, I was going to church with my grandmother on Sundays. My, my Facebook profile said I was a Christian. Might have been MySpace back then. I was good, right? That's good. There's, there's this moment 
in that season of my life, I remember we were, me and a couple other teammates, we were, we were sitting on the, the bench in the dugout right before a men's slow-pitch softball game, lacing up our cleats, and they, they were talking about potentially having practice on Sunday morning, which in itself is ridiculous. It's men's slow-pitch softball, right? Right? But they were asking, you know, is everybody available? And then they get to me, and I was kind of dreading the question, and they're like, Ronnie, are you, are you free on Sunday to, to practice? And I was like, well, uh, I'll have to let you know. See, I got, ch- I got church on Sunday. I got church on Sunday, and then I'll never, I'll never forget this, uh, this part. And it, it probably didn't mean anything to him when he said it. He was asking this question genuinely and just casually. Uh, but one, one of my teammates was like, oh, Ronnie, I, I, you're a Christian? I didn't know you were a Christian. Really, he, he said, I didn't know you were religious. Well, he meant Christian. He, he was surprised in that moment that I claimed to be a Christian. He was surprised that I claimed to follow God because to everyone else it looked like I was awfully following like a lot of other things besides God. Worldly things, sinful things. What he said without saying it was, I didn't know you were a Christian because you're limping between two different opinions. Friends, I'm here to ask you today, quit limping. Quit limping. The Lord is God. Follow him. The Lord is God. Follow him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning. We love you this morning, Father. We praise you for your love and for your mercy and for your grace. Father, we praise you for your protection of us. We praise you that you take hearts that are are running away from you and you, you turn them back to you, Father. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who is is running away from you, limping between you and this thing or that thing, who doesn't know you at all, Father, bring them to yourself. Turn their hearts back to you, Father. Father, you change hearts. You offer forgiveness. You love us. You give us mercy. praise you today for that, Father. We love you, and you do it all through your Son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.